Hi, this is Jordan Shively. Hi, this is Brock Wilbur. And you're listening to Caring Into the Void, the podcast where we both get together, tell each other about a weird or dark story we've heard, and then try and find the silver lining or flip it into something that, while possibly not positive, will at least be productive. I like that turn of phrase. I like being productive, but not necessarily positive. Not everything is positive, but at least you can have some fucking forward motion in your life, even if it's not like the brightest of types. I appreciate that. That's absolutely what we're here to do. Because not everything will be positive, but you can tear and claw something useful out of everything. So this week, I'm tearing out of the darkness the story of Robert the Doll. The story of Robert the Doll starts when Thomas and Minnie Otto, well-traveled Floridian art lovers, built a home in Key West, Florida in, 19, in 1898 on Eaton Street. Three years after they had their third child, a son named Robert Eugene, whom everyone called Jean. The family seemed to be fairly affluent and had the usual retinue of serving staff for the time period. And one of those was unfortunately a nameless servant of Jamaican descent because at that time period, if you were female or not white, usually your name didn't get recorded. This comes up a lot in your stories. Uh, namelessness? Yeah, just sort of like how in the time period, the uh, non-white people are not recorded. <laughs> Well, I mean, erasure of these people was is a big part in its own kind of horror story of its own right. Because this person, this nameless person, was where Robert the doll came from. Um, it was his nanny, and she gave him this doll. And it is a big fucking doll, just about the size of a four-year-old. The doll was straw-filled, <laughs> hand-sewn, and dressed in a sailor's outfit. So nothing creepy at all about that. Just your average life-size doll dressed like a sailor. Um, Gene, however, loved the doll, first red flag about this kid, and took it everywhere with him. He even occasionally wore a matching outfit as the doll, because that's a good idea. Um, <laughs> and, and people said they looked like siblings. I mean, as much as a child in a hand-stitched, straw-stuffed doll can look like siblings, I guess. Gene named the doll Robert, his own given first name, because you should always, you know, give power to a doll by naming it after yourself. Oh, my God. The, this, this story just gets bananas, man. The doll would have its own chair at the dining table, and the boy would give little pieces of food to it. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, I know. This whole story is just one big nope, nope, nope. <laughs> he would take it along on car rides, and it was there at his bath times. I mean, that at least is normal for a child to do with its favorite toy. Right. We all had this thing that we brought along. I had a plastic shark that I took everywhere with me. Mine was a lamby pie. It was a small lamb that looked sort of like lamb chop, but was different. So, you know, bootleg lamb chop, plastic shark. We're all on the same page here with, with Eugene at, this, at the moment. But then it got weird. The doll started talking. Gene's parents would report that they would hear voices coming from his room. Even when he was supposed to be alone, they would hear what sounded like the child deep in conversation with someone. They would hear his small child voice speaking and then another deeper, rougher voice answering. Often the rougher voice would sound strident and insistent and Gene would be flustered and scared as if an argument of two sides was going on. At first they thought it was a game that he was playing, but after a while they began to worry. Gene's mother would sneak quietly towards his room during one of these play sessions and burst into the room unannounced. She would recount that she would find the boy cowering in the corner of the room, 
with his arms wrapped around his knees and Robert the doll in a chair in the middle of the room or sitting on the bed. And she would swear it looked like the doll was just glaring at the boy in the corner. Jesus. Um, At this point, I'm not sure why the story was allowed to continue, but it does. (laughs) And it gets worse. The autos would get woken up in the night by Gene screaming in his room. They would find him awake in his bed and the place would be trashed. The boy always blamed it on Robert. Robert did it. Became something they heard often after that. Anytime something bad happened, a broken vase, a series of mutilated toys. They, of course, didn't believe it. I mean, they're his parents, so you just think your kid's lying to you because it's being bad. The parents then, though, started hearing giggling through the house when Gene was supposed to be in bed. And the servants would find themselves either locked out of the house or they find piles of bedding and clothing shredded on the floor and dishes like broken everywhere. This started leading to the servants starting to have the blame as well as Gene. And the family began to be known for having a high turnover of servants. Like they couldn't keep anyone employed because either they quit or they would get fired. And Gene also became punished a lot for these things. The boy never Hmm. wavered in his stories, though. Like, he always said Robert the doll was the one doing it, even as he began to have constant punishment become a part of his life. The stories of Robert were not just coming from just the boy Gene, though, by this point. Visitors to the house would claim they saw the doll blink and that they would hear also hear laughter throughout the house when everyone was supposed to be in the same room. And at this point, I have to say, why the fuck didn't these parents just throw the doll away? It's a doll. It's, it's not like it was another child that was like, like seancing or being weird. It was a toy that a servant had given to this kid. Don't you just throw that shit away and move on? All right. <laughs> let's, let's keep going after that. And it did become too much of a disturbance. Like I said, like other family members were like, what the fuck is this toy ruining your life? The Otto's extended family stepped in to stop what must have seemed like this whole family just falling apart over a doll. One of Jean's great aunts visited and put her foot down. She claimed the doll had to be cursed with the evil spirit. First smart person in the story, by the way. She's like, <laughs> um, this is a fucking cursed doll. What are you doing keeping it? And if they wanted to get their house back to normal, they had to get rid of it. On her recommendation, Robert was taken away and packed into a box in the attic. Why not the fire pit? Who knows, you know, obviously the good idea could only go so far. And now I shit you not, according to accounts, the aunt was found dead in her room the next night. Oh my God. Why would you do this to us? I don't know. This is the, this is the story that has multiple accounts in a museum built around the doll. Now, um, the official story, the family told hold the up, world, hold up, hold up. The, the doll still exists. Yeah. I'm going to get to that eventually. No um, God. And why? you can go see it. Um, The official story that the family told the world was a stroke. But within the Otto family, a different story was believed. Somehow, she had died for opposing Robert. So they brought the fucking doll out of storage and returned it to Jean's side, living in hostage fear. So that was that, I guess. You can get used to anything, even living in fear of a doll. Even eventually, Jean grew up. He became a painter, traveled Europe, and married a pianist named Anne. After his parents moved away, Gene passed away. Gene and his wife moved into the family home on Eaton Street. Apparently, though, through all this time, Robert the doll had maintained his place at Gene's side. Um, Neighbors talked of how it still had a place at the dinner table in a small chair by their bedside. 
Creepy. Gene was often heard to talk to it as he walked through the house. Servants whispered that Anne hated the doll. Although, why she married this doll-toting creeper to begin with? I mean, that, I can't fathom that. It's like, oh, on the first date, you got a doll. Oh, yeah, it, you, feed the do- <laughs> you feed the doll throughout the thing. Um, just smearing food on that doll's face. Nothing weird here. But she, she was said to resent its place next to their bed somehow, weirdly enough. Um, <laughs> and after a while, she got Jean to lock it back up in the attic. Once again, missing a great doll-burning opportunity. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, we, last time we locked it up in the attic, that worked great, right? And they look out the window, <laughs> and there's the tombstone of their aunt. Um, <laughs> rumors were that this didn't work very well, surprisingly enough. And the doll would be found sitting in a rocking chair downstairs. I think someone threw in rocking chair at this part of the story just to have that creepy view of a doll like rocking in a chair. And when he was supposed to be locked away in the attic, the sounds of laughter at night returned and the reports of soft footfalls in the hallways when everyone was supposed to be asleep. Eventually, the story goes, this drove Anne to insanity and she took her own life. Jesus. So doll two, human zero so far. Oh my God. Gene passed away in 1974 with Robert by his side, never saying any story other than the one where Robert the doll was a center of all these miseries and the tragedies. Even on his deathbed, he didn't go, I'm crazy. Nope. <laughs> Robert the doll was alive and a jerk. One would hope that with him dead, there would be the end of the story that the evil of Robert the doll would have been buried with his boy. But it's not to be, of course. Eventually, as in every great story like this, except this one seems to be recorded and has a museum, a new family moved into the house on Eaton Street. In the process of fixing up the property, they found the doll and packed it away into the attic. God, why? I know. Whether this was from the uneasiness of finding this creepy fucking sailor doll, or maybe they were hoping for a future Antiques Roadshow moment, who knows? However, later the family suddenly donated the doll to a museum. Third missed doll burning opportunity. (laughs) Weird things had started happening in the house again. The haunting laughter, the soft footsteps, the destroyed valuables. Their 10-year-old daughter started reporting finding the doll around the house that had even tried to attack her. A crazy and seemingly made-up story, except for the fact that she still maintains it now in her adulthood. Reportedly, the final event, and this is the one that seems so made up, but it's all these people are saying the same thing, and maybe they're all liars, <laughs> but the last thing that prompted the donation to excise it from their home was the parents, hearing movements in their room, muffled laughter, things being knocked over, and when they turned the lights on to catch the intruder, all they found was Robert the doll next to a kitchen knife. So, creep show and a half. <laughs> oh um, my god, can, why? If you want to visit Robert the Doll and give it a chance to bond with you, you can currently see it at a museum in Key West, I think. Um, so, how about that one? Maybe the best part of that is Key West. Yeah, it's like a little Floridian town with a museum to a devil doll. <laughs> oh my god. Tur- turning this all around into a carrying into the void moment. Maybe a little harder this week than usual, but here we go. Life is difficult. It is messy, bloody. You will find people, things, 
entities in your path that will want to latch onto you, to shadow you, to dominate you. Do not give them a fucking inch. Lock the doors of your heart and mind against these parasites that would come to you in the guise of companionship. Force them back through the hallways of your life till there is no ghost of them lingering near. No echoing laughter and words that would bind you to their side. No dark secrets locked up in attics just waiting for your guard to drop. Burn them the fuck down and never look back as you walk away, leaving them amidst the flames of the cage they would have kept you in. Leave nothing but ash in your wake as you claw your way free of their clutches. Because you know, shit is hard. Fuck emotional hauntings. Create the life you need. Jesus Christ. So that was the carrying into the void moment for Robert the fucking crazy doll. The jerk doll. Jerk doll is such a jerk doll. Robert, who has his own museum right now. Oh, my God. That was so good. It was a fucking creepy story. And it's creepy because it has all these moments. That you're like, oh, that's a script for a movie. Oh, no, wait. This is a widely passed around story that has a museum based on it. You know, obviously, I, I mean, what they don't ever mention in this story is that he's the third child. So there are other kids in this house, whether this is like some like gaslighting thing that went so far to be like psychopathic, you know, with the other kids or I don't know, like there has to be some kernel of truth to this, whether it's like a thought form kind of creepy thing where all this belief gave this doll power. Oh, sure. Or psychological neuroses. I mean, you, you never fucking know. But I think them not mentioning that there were several other children in the house ever in this story is really weird. All right. (laughs) What do you have this week, Brock? (laughs) I hope other people are enjoying this. I hope you enjoy what we put ourselves through to make this show. Did that one creep you out? Yeah, I'm pretty upset by that one, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Your wife comes home and finds you burning every action figure in the house. And you're like, why? Gotta be safe. Uh, she just uh, she just left the house because she is not a creepy doll fan. And even though she can't hear, she could hear my reactions and was like, no, nope, out. Oh, I'm not a creepy doll fan either. I hope no one is a fan of creepy dolls, you know, like as in helping them out. But it was a really <laughs> creepy story. And that's what we do here. I mean, I've, I've deleted all the files on my computer now and I'm like going to like fragment my hard drive after writing all that. But <laughs> And still the Google Doc returns. <laughs> All right. So what's your story? Uh, so what I'm bringing to the table this week is uh, books bound in human skin. Oh, goody. Uh, I have two different friends that are touring the world uh, writing books about books bound in human skin, which is called Anthropodermeric Bibliopegy, uh, which I, I just said absolutely right. Uh, and there is this sort of weird long history of a lot of books being rumored to be bound in human skin and then people go and check it out and they're like, yeah, this is bound in something. And then they'll find out it was bound in goat or uh, it was bound in something different. Uh, and now we have sort of via uh, the magic of technology found the like nine or 10 books that are out there that are in fact bound in human skin uh, that ex- exist in museums right now. But there is a documented history Uh, of things before that. And the ones that we have now are mostly books that are bound in the human skin of, uh, and this is a story of consent culture. Um, It's mostly the flesh of dead women from mental hospitals. 
and their flesh is used to bind books written by their doctors at the time. So it's men writing about women, not caring about women, and then when they're dead, using their bodies to put their books into that. And that's uh, just like a crazy, crazy thing. But uh, the history of it is actually that starting in like the 19th century, there's a lot of crime and punishment around it where uh, different criminals uh, would be convicted of uh, terrible crimes. Uh, and mostly this is called the, the Murder Act. Uh, and the, the Murder Act, uh, which started in the UK, said that if you commit murder and we find you guilty, we will actually kill you. And then we publicly dissect your body. Uh, and then uh, the judge could order that parts of your body be used for different things. Uh, so there are a number of murderers over the years whose skin was sentenced to be made into books. Uh, and the practice actually begins with uh, the historical figures known as Burke and Hare. Uh, Burke and Hare were these two dudes that realized uh, by accidentally finding a body one night that they could sell that body to a local uh, medical school and they'd get paid for it. So rather than depend on finding more dead drunks around their bar, they just started murdering a bunch of people. They killed 17 people in total and sold their bodies uh, to the local medical university. Uh, and uh, when uh, it came to trial, Hare uh, just totally flipped on Burke and was like, it's all his idea, which is why uh, the process of strangling somebody from behind right in uh, using like a bear hug is to this day called Burking. Uh, but Burke uh, was murdered. He was publicly dissected. And then his skin was made into a book uh, that has his inscription on the inside. It, it just says on the cover, like, this is Burke, uh, which is a crazy fucking thing. Holy shit. To have done with your, with your skin. Uh, and that, that's in a library right now. And people, you can go pick it up. Uh, and, and they use other parts of his body to make like toys for children and stuff like that. Like it's a, why it's, it's like using every part of the Buffalo, but it was also this thing that like, they did it so publicly that people just started taking parts and like uh, people just made things out of other stuff. So um, <laughs> there is also like now uh, I've I've sort of spoken about this in my stand up before and written about it at length. There are a lot of different things you can do with your body when you die. And there is something of a new movement of people asking that maybe uh, a book be written uh, or, or or their diaries or something and that that be bound in their skin. So uh, my carrying into the void is this. Live your truth, be your words, deal with all you encounter as if your disguise can be pulled back at any time and try to exist as if your true form will match that disguise one behind the other. When those klaxons sound and we all face our reckoning and move on to the next stage of our void span, that's going to happen. But perhaps consider your moves in life as a journal left behind and consider that this journal could be bound in you. And while your husk is here forever and your brilliance is beyond the next star, Make sure that husk is anchored in that for which you can always be proud. You know, get some skin in the game. <laughs> Why the fuck did they do that, though? It, it was a it was was it like a shaming thing. It, it was a public shaming. And then but like in, in all cases, it's like one book was made and it's not like a book about like their conviction or something. It's just they made this thing. I there wasn't like a belief about that. The skin did something for them like it was necromantic power maybe or or there's a belief there that there's a power that comes with your skin like there's some sort of thing in, in, imbued by that yeah it's it's fascinating all right i'm gonna be doing a bunch of reading on this after we finish this episode <laughs> all right cool that was awesome uh do you have a self-care thing for the week yeah i do actually 
Um, let's see. What did I do this week? So I started scheduling happiness instead of waiting for it to magically fall into place. Oh, my God. I've started putting the wheels in motion at my day job to tip the ratio of working on things I enjoy towards the majority and the grind work to be in the minority. I've started sketching out weekly boundaries and carving set moments to do the things I need to have healthier relationships, not leaving it all to get done, you know, like saying on this day, I'm going to work on this on this day. I'm not going to fucking work on that, even if I need to sort of thing. So I'm going to it's going to take a while for this to get some steam, but I'm starting to sketch out the map that I need to for the steps I need to take to get to a life where it's living, not surviving. So that's what I've been doing for my self-care. How about you? Uh, This week, my grandfather passed. Uh, He was a bit of a hoarder. uh, And we have done this incredible thing, which is finding all the stuff that matters to people elsewhere and making sure it gets to them. So in the last few days, uh, his his bullshit, his crap, his stuff that he defended for 10 years and wouldn't let anybody touch has uh, ostensibly changed our entire community. Everyone has felt the touch of it. And a thing that occurred to me as I was doing it was, uh, don't be this guy. Uh, Do this stuff while you're alive rather than have somebody try to change the memory of you after the fact when it becomes work for everybody else. Uh, And so that's, uh, I I came home and I just stopped spending the way I usually uh, spend. uh, And I immediately got into thinking about what I can do for other people in a way that I haven't in a while. And that's, that's changed me real fast. That's that idea of death energy, man. You're going to fucking die. So what are you waiting for? If you're going to get something done, you need to get it done now because there's a time clock and that, that knowledge is freeing though, because you have the excuse to not wait. All right. So that's it for this week. Um, We love making this for you. If you want to go onto iTunes or Stitcher and give us a review or a like, that always helps a lot to help the podcast stand out amongst the abyss of the internet. Um, So this is Jordan and Brock saying, keep your hearts dark and true and your teeth sharp and many. See you next week. Thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate you. Good night.